Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Namihi nui and welcome to Our Changing World from RNZ National. The main thing here is that what we've got is we've got gardening from the very beginning of gardening in New Zealand and what's special about it is it's written in stone. New Zealand has long been a nation of gardeners but what you might not realise is just how long. So this week Our Changing World is a bit of a gardening show, hunting out New Zealand's very first gardeners. And that means a story about ancient stones, the birth of Auckland, a very current political scrap over housing and... Kumara. But a starter for 10 first. Just how ancient do you think our gardens are? 200 years? 500? People describe this as a lost world and it is a wee bit like that. Try nearer 700 years. There's gardens, there's house sites, there's storage pits. And this is about the 15th century? Um, possibly even earlier than that. Um, we don't know, but that, that's, that's a good date to work with. For a bit of context, that's about the time the Renaissance in Europe was getting serious or when the Inca were building Machu Picchu. So where is this lost 15th century world here in New Zealand? Probably not where you'd expect. Believe it or not, I'm on the road heading in and out of Auckland International Airport. The buses, the camper vans, the trucks go past, just moments away from one of New Zealand's most historic archaeological sites. Within metres, the view changes, and you're surrounded by rough paddocks, big trees leading with the westerlies, and open fields and just a couple of minutes away this just a bit of bird song and I'm here to meet Dave Vert archaeologist, good morning Dave good morning, how the heck are you? I'm very well actually and it's finally stopped raining so it's even better <laughs> I'm meeting Dave amidst the paddocks at the entrance of the Otuatawa stone fields nowadays a public reserve thanks to a purchase in 1999 by the Manukau City Council with help from DOC the Auckland Regional Council and lotteries. Dave's a former dock staffer who worked his way up to Auckland Area Historic Programme Manager. He's been coming here to these stone fields since 1983, before their significance was properly appreciated, and before they got caught up in a battle between Auckland's past and its future. But more of that later. We'll come through the, the old wooden gate here. And tell me, Dave, why is this place so special? Where does it rank in the order of New Zealand archaeology? I think it's right at the very top. I mean, we've got the huge par sites, which record a slightly later period of Māori settlement. We've got the amazing site at Wairau Bar, um, where we're dealing with the very first New Zealanders, the very first occupants of, of Aotearoa are living there. Uh, they're hunting and eating more. What we've got at this site, in my opinion, is the beginning of gardening. This is where um, gardening systems um, probably start. We've got traditional stories of very early arrivals. We've got radiocarbon dates that, um, that parallel this. So I think, as a remainder, this is the largest intact part of what was once an enormous um, thousands of hectares covering most of the volcanic parts of Auckland. This is the last bit um, of any size, 100 hectares of it, and it's an absolutely amazing remainder. And at the end of that gravelly path, those 100 hectares of reserve are made up of low hills strewn with stones. Lots of stones. 
For those first Polynesian arrivals, this was rich, but very foreign soil. The first time in their colonisation of the Pacific, they're not in the tropics anymore. They're actually in a temperate climate, and a lot of the things that they've brought won't grow. Coconuts won't grow. And so how do they adapt? Um, so what they do is that they, they, um, they just stick to the group of plants that actually do grow here. So gourds grow, taro grows sort of, but the main crop becomes kumara. And what we're looking at here are the remnants of largely of kumara gardening. When you say thousands of hectares, that suggests a, a sophistication of cultivation that might surprise a lot of people. Are you, are you talking about just rows and rows and paddocks and paddocks of, of gardens? Absolutely. Um, the entire... When Europeans first arrive in Auckland, they describe what they, they, they call it a sea of fern. There's no bush left. It's been the Māori gardens have cleared it, and they've been gardening it for hundreds of years. And that green-fingered talent doesn't stop there. Dotting the paddocks are these small mounds covered in grass, maybe a metre high. They are... well, they're ingenious. I'll let Dave explain. What the gardeners have done here is they've made a circle of quite large boulders. They've then put smaller boulders around, and then the inside of it is probably, on the strength of the few I've excavated over the years, there'll be a pocket of soil, possibly with some sort of modifications, additions of wood ash, um, ground-up shell, gravel. Um, And what they're doing is that they're generating a little patch of significantly warmer soil, and so when you're growing... Within a stone, little stone within circle? Within this little stone circle. A couple of metres so, wide? And, yep. and, and what, they, they just plant crops sheltered in here? Well, they plant the kumara early because it's warmer than the surrounding soil and right. I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head but the temperatures of the soil in here were significantly higher than the surrounding soil. I mean, enough to make a difference in some weeks in kumara cultivation. So you get a a longer growing season? You do. In fact, what you're doing is that you're generating the tipu, the little shoots that you're going to plant out in your main gardens. So you're getting the... This is the nursery. This is where you're you're generating the the seedlings, essentially, and then they're planted out in in the rest of the area. Legend has it that Hape was the first person to arrive here, near Auckland, on the back of a giant sea turtle closely followed by the Tainui canoe. But for those first Māori, life wasn't all about gardening. The people who first arrive get to harvest the absolute surplus of a completely un, um, an untouched environment. I mean, they're dealing with snapper at absolute maximum size. Um, they're dealing with seals, there's moa, there's birds in huge quantities. So there's plenty of protein, initially at least. But don't be fooled into thinking life was a barrel of laughs. It's not gardening for fun, this is gardening so you eat, you know, and so you're desperately trying to extract the maximum um, out of any piece of soil. How hard would life have been? I mean, are we... Are we... Oh, well, people don't live much past 30, but in Europe they're not living much past 30 either. No. Um, and the skeletal evidence shows that people's joints are very worn, I mean, people are working hard. You've probably picked it up by now. Dave clearly loves the place. Reckons he's been there at least 500 times. And says it's a place where Auckland's population of one and a half million people just disappears. It's one of those places where the past and the present are very close. By the way, if you think we're huffing and puffing a bit just now, hey, we've just climbed a hill. You know, you can, you can see 
things that are quite difficult to see elsewhere. But just behind us here, yeah. what I've got here is a foundation of a very large house dating probably from the 1400s. So It's mostly grass, but we can see an outline of stone, yeah. um, maybe, what, 10 metres by 5 metres? About that, yes. Now, what's happened is that normally when Maori are building a house, they put the posts that are going to hold it up into the ground, row of posts down the centre, build the house. Well, the problem here is you can't dig a hole because the ground is so rocky. So what they've done is they've actually built a stone foundation that holds the walls. And if you look carefully, you can see it's a double row of large stones with the rubble infill. And what that's doing is it's actually supporting the posts that are holding the, um, the house up. So how much of the house is wood and how much of, of it is stone? Oh, I think largely the, the side walls are probably about another two or three hundred high. Um, but largely what you can see is the stone bit um, and the rest of it's timber. So, and, and this would have been a residential? Oh, this is of an enormous size for um, an early Maori house. I yeah. mean, this is what archaeologists used to call a chief's house. Right. You know, this is the, the, the structure that evolved into what we refer to colloquially today as meeting houses. And given that we're now talking about houses, let's scroll forward from the 1400s to the past 150 years. Because when Europeans roll up here, things, they start to change. Later on, the, um, the early population of Auckland is fed by these people. So, How many people? Living here at that stage? Mm. Oh, five, six hundred. And how many are being fed by all this food? Has it been well, shipped it's, around? It's, it's basically being shipped across the harbour to Auckland. I mean, these people are the market gardeners. Um, of early Auckland and they're supplying tons of potatoes, they're growing peaches and quinces, um, they're growing pigs. And, and, and they're trading all of these for, for what? Oh, um, in part they're, they're trading for money. <laughs> um, I mean, these, the people here were trading as far as Sydney. I mean, they had flour mills, they were growing wheat. Um, what date are we at this point? Uh, 1850s. Right. And what happens at the end of that period, of course, is that there's two things happen. Uh, there's an economic down downturn in Australia, which mucks up that part of their trading network. But most importantly, um, they're driven off the land by uh, an edict of the governor, George Grey, um, at the outbreak of the war in the Waikato. And after that, all this land is confiscated and handed to European farmers. This is where the politics comes in. And that's part of the, the context of what we see today because the land bordering the site is now part of quite a heated debate about whether there should be more housing in there. And when we arrive, there are flags, there are protests planned. Um, but at the moment, the, the housing is going ahead? As far as I know, um, it's, uh, the land is proposed to be purchased by, by Fletchers and they intend to build 480 houses, I think it is. How does that affect... This land is, is nearby, but it's not the actual land that is going to be no, built on. No, it's not. So can we, have, can we have both? Can we have the archaeology here and the housing needs met nearby? Well, there's two issues. Um, firstly, the land that's going to be built on is part of the same landscape. It's been used, I suspect, slightly differently. Um, but... At this point, we don't actually know. <laughs> no, one's had a, no one's had a decent look. 
The second thing is, is this is actually a fragile landscape and I don't think there's been any plans for adding sort of 1,500 neighbours to it. <laughs> the developer Fletcher Building takes a different view. They reckon history and housing can coexist. They've walked the land, identified the historic and tapu places, even used ground-penetrating radar to survey the lava caves once used as urupa, or burial sites. The chance of further significant findings, they say, are slim. For Dave, though, the risk's just not worth it. Too much has been lost already. Yeah, I think we worked out there were 6,000 hectares of this sort of garden, Stonefield gardening systems originally. And now we have? 140 so it's mm. a it's a spot from it is it is absolutely and it's incredibly lucky and it's it's a credit really to the the european landowners here um that in fact it was managed so so well i mean it's um the damage they did was minimal um and it was the same families the same families who received the land grants in the 1860s were the ones who sold this block to the crown in in 1999 2000 what should this landscape mean to us should it be Equivalent to a, a Stonehenge or some some significant site in well, what, I mean, what, part it, of the world? what it is is it's 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 the beginning. It's the beginning of Auckland, um, and unusually, we've actually got the people, the descendants of those first Aucklanders, the first residents of Tamaki Makaurau, living a kilometre down the road from where we're standing at the moment. This, you know, those those people are still here. Um, it's it shows how people lived in a way that's remarkably easy to understand in comparison with lots of other archaeological sites which are quite difficult. And the thing that intrigues me is that people in New Zealand often say, well, we've got no history. Well, what we're looking at is we're looking at the, the end point of the human um, exploration of the planet. This is the last major piece of land that humans arrive at. The last, and the least and the loveliest. Absolutely, yes, <laughs> although for Polynesians it was, it was like finding a continent. Yes. They hadn't found any other islands this big before. Um, and there's all sorts of things that we can learn here because that's so relatively recent. I mean, when you're looking at North America, when you're looking at Australia with the new dates that are coming out of the DNA there, um, you know, tens of thousands of years, um, hundreds of thousands of years in other parts of the world, the fact that this is literally within a few generations um, means that there's all sorts of things that we should be able to see that will explain how human beings dealt with a virgin landscape, um, how they learnt to live in it, um, and how they modified it, and how and how, how sort of humans did things at the very beginning. Very difficult to see elsewhere. I mean, in older parts of the world... Um, there's even less left, and it's um, you know it's it's much much older and therefore much more fragile. Whereas so, here we've got all sorts of information, we just haven't started looking for it properly. That was archaeologist Dave Viet, and that story was produced by Tim Watkin from RNZ's series and podcasts team. Thanks for listening to this Our Changing World podcast, and you can find more stories on our webpage, rnz.co.nz/ourchangingworld. Kakiteano. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. 
That's BotoxCosmetic.com. <laughs> 